going to be at. 1 John chapter 3. So Father, I, I do thank you so much for this morning and, and just thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. The, the treasure of being with your church this morning. It is so sweet, Lord, to be with the saints and to be in fellowship. And so I thank you for that, God. And now, Lord, we just want to thank you for this time as well of just uh, of getting into your word, hearing from your word. Father, just experiencing the Spirit of God speak to us, and I pray that you would do that this morning, Jesus. Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, we need to be empowered and encouraged and maybe even convicted, Lord, in your word this morning. Lord, all that we might know you more, that we might know who you are, and that we might even just have a longing for more of you through this. And so, Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24 is where we're going to be at this morning. And in a message I've entitled, Love is a Movement of Action. This is where John, it's just been a, a, just a culmination of things that are all pointing to this word love, this abiding love. And as you think about it, love for sure, it is a very intense word which has really a lot of different meanings. Maybe in our culture we have one word, but in the Greek culture there's definitely multiple words that, that unpack this word called love. Now I remember the very first time I told someone I love them. I remember the very first time for that. It was a huge decision, but I knew in my heart of hearts that this was the girl for me. And so I remember telling this gal like, man, I love you, and, and, and just kind of share those, those, those feelings with her that lasted for a good while. That is until I met her cousin. And then it was like, oh, maybe this is the girl for me. And then I told that girl I loved her. But again, you know, I was in sixth grade, so what do I know? You know, I was sixth grade. But here's the thing, as I think about that, obviously I had no idea what love was. And, and in that time of my life, really, love was about what I can gain or or, or, or I, I guess grasp from this gal and the status of, you know, being around the guys and like, hey, I'm dating cousins, you know, this kind of thing, you know, at school and so forth. And, and, and you know, really wanting to impress my friends and so forth. But then as I think about love and what it was really all about, it was more in that moment of what it could do for me. So then you fast forward to Bible college and you figure by then I would really figure out what love is all about right? And so I remember, you know, telling Anna for the very first time that I loved her. But even in that moment, I think if I'm honest with myself, I still didn't really know what love was. I mean, at that point, I was still a baby. I think to some people, for sure, you know, 24, 25-year-old kid is still kind of a baby for some people in some perspectives, right? And, and so really, when I think about that love that I shared with her, really what I was excited about was, was how she made me feel. Or even just the thought of not wanting to leave California without her. Or, or not wanting to be by myself. Or really, you know, I liked and loved the way she made me feel when I was around her. That feeling she gave me. You know, the, the butterflies in the stomach and all those kinds of things. But if you think about it, hopefully the problem with that is that it's self-evident in what I just described. Because if you notice, there was a lot of eyes in that description of what love is. 
And as we think about this word, the problem with the word love, especially the way we use it, oftentimes it is associated with like sexual love or romantic love, if you will. It's what the Greeks would have called eros, right? It's more often this self-centered kind of love. But there's a lot of different versions of love or meanings of love. There's another word that really is called storge, and that's the kind of love that what we would express between family members and so forth. There's another word called phileo, which is more of a, uh, of a brotherly love that we have for our brethren. It can almost be, kind of go with this other word called hesed, which is kind of a love just for humanity. But oftentimes, especially in the New Testament, the word love that's often used about Jesus and God and about us and our relationship to Him is this word called agape. Now, this is a huge word for love because what that kind of love means, that kind of love is the kind of love that gives. It's kind of a working out, if you remember, and this is kind of cool that this is 1 John 3.16 that we're looking at, but also in John 3.16 itself, back in the Gospels, you have God describing His love for the world, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then we find that that word love has these implications of giving without expecting anything in return. See, when I told this, that young gal back in sixth grade that I loved her, I was hoping for something in return, whether it's a feeling or a status or whatever the case may be. The kind of love that we're talking about, the love, this biblical kind of love, is a love that just gives without any expectations in return. It's a love that just loves because that's what love does. Just gives. No, no repayment. No, no, okay, you know, checking off kind of the scoreboard, if you will. That kind of love doesn't come natural to us. And I think that, that, that often, it's, especially for the life of the believer, it's something that we need His empowering Spirit to actually partake of to be in love and to give in that way. And, and I think finally, after 20 years of marriage, it's what I'm realizing that love really is. It's a choice. It's a daily choice to love without any expectation of getting something back in return. That's the kind of love that, that John here is talking. We're looking at the outworking of love. And so what is love? What is love biblically? Well, let's look at, let's look at these verses today. We're going to start in verse 16 with this first point, which is simply love is dying to self. Look what John says there. He says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I think this is kind of that clarifying verse that really tags on to John 3.16, that whole love. This is the working out of that. Because the word that, that John is using here is that word agape, that benevolence or goodwill or really that affection, giving of affection, right? Man, I, I tell you what, we have a couple of cats and those cats annoy me like crazy. Because I love those cats, but I want them to return some of that love. And they don't. They just stick their tail up in the air and just kind of walk off. And they only give you a love, you know, which is really interesting. It's like the perfect picture of us. Because the only time our cats ever come and pay attention to us is when I'm by the fridge. They know that we keep some of their cat food in the fridge. And so they'll come and she'll come and, and rub herself around my leg and stuff. And then she'll just fall down and stick up her paws in the air. And I'm just like... I want to squish you, <laughs> like, you know, because I know why she's showing me affection. She wants something in return. 
She, and as soon as the food's there, it's like she could care less if I'm alive after that point until the next morning when she wants some of her wet, you know, juicy food, if you will. But that's not the love we're talking about. The love that we're talking about is a love that dies to self. See, love is dying to self. Love started with Jesus laying down his life for us. See, the cross then becomes this ultimate picture, right, of love. We love him. We love Jesus because he first loved us. When I think about the life of Jesus, it is a total picture of this this submission to the Father, right? Everything he did, every path he took, every healing, every interaction that he had with humanity, when you think about Jesus in the Gospels, all of it was pointing to this one act of love. That, that constant laying down, that, that serving humanity, washing the feet of the disciple, all of it was going towards the cross. I mean, one of the greatest examples I see that, or just a example, I mean, there's so many in the Gospels, right? But I think of even Jesus as a child. I mean, talk about just, just miles ahead, right? Because he's God in human flesh. When they were out the temple worshiping and Jesus began talking with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and just discussing, and it wasn't until, you know, their, you know, their caravan of people that Jesus was traveling with, right, that the parents recognized, like, wait a minute, we're, we're missing Jesus. Where's Jesus at? And then they realize, like, oh, man, he's back, in, you know, in Jerusalem. So they go back and they find him in the temple and they're all freaked out about him. And Jesus' response to them is like, Mom, Dad, why are you all freaked out? Like, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And you just have this picture of Jesus just every step going closer and closer to the day where he would actually lay down his life for us, where he would then demonstrate his love of, of submitting himself to the Father and then submitting himself to the death on the cross. Now, why is that such a picture of love? Why is just the death of the cross such a picture? Because it's not just the death in and of itself, but it's what that death represents that demonstrates his love for us. Right? Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Think about that. While we were still dead in our trespasses and sin, while we were still running from him, then Christ was dying. I remember, you know, especially going back and hanging out with my grandmother and the family, I, I went to my old grandma's house that I lived with, that, where I lived at with her. I mean, she was I mean, just an important figure in my life because she was there for the transition of me going from, from non-Christian to becoming a Christian. And I remember going to the, to the backyard at my grandma's house and took a picture of this little cuartito, uh, which is basically, a cuartito is like a little room, you know, and I just lived in this little room. And as I look at that little room, it's such a picture of, of me living there, full-on rebellion towards God, hiding my sin, because I had my own key, I could lock up, keep my stuff in there. And, and, and at the same time, it's the place I lived where God finally grabbed a hold of my heart and, and brought me into a place of, of love. And when I think about that picture of just, of just how I was running from God, and even while we were running from God, God is, is in times past and in, and in eternity present laying down His life for me, just giving me His love. Why? Here's why it's so important. Because look what Hebrews 9.22 says. It says this, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed by blood, and without the shedding of 
of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, the death of the cross demonstrates His love because there, there had to be a sacrifice. In order for there to be forgiveness for us, in order for us to be made right with God, in order for us to, to experience the love of God, there first had to be a sacrifice. There had to be the shedding of blood. And Jesus here is doing that for us. When He went to the cross, He was doing that on behalf of us and for us. He was demonstrating His love and that He's laying His life down for you and for me. That's what love is. Love is laying down your life for someone without any promise of gratitude. Without any promise of a response to that love. I mean, think about that for a second. Love, giving, without a promise for payment. I mean, sometimes... You know, it's one of the things that drives me nuts when I think about like even marriages and so forth. You know, and maybe some of you guys don't even remember this, but I just remember, you know, as, as a kid, young, growing in the Lord, seeing this one episode of, of the Huxtables. If you remember before uh, Bill Cosby's reputation was marred, there was this one episode where, where Claire and, and Cliff, you know, they are doing some marriage counseling per se, you know, to, you know, their young couple, their oldest, their oldest kids. And one of the things that Claire said to them was like, love in marriage is this, 50-50. He gets 50 and she gets 50. And that is like total crud. <laughs> right? Because that's like giving. I'm going to give if you give. I will give of myself if you meet me halfway. And see, and that's not the love. That's not biblical love. Bible love, Jesus' love, is love giving without any hope of return. It's a love that says, here you go. And then, then we're then called then to respond to the love. But that love is not withheld if we respond. That love is just given. That's the love that chased you and me down. That's the love that met us right where we were at, right in the middle of our mess. You see, God has a great love for you and for me. And that's what it says, by this we know love because He laid down His life for us. And that's something I think that, that often, maybe we, and many of us need to just be reminded of, that we have a God who loves us. And I know in times like this, it can feel that way. It can feel almost absent His love, but there is no way to deny that we have a God who loves us, who loves us right where we're at, who sees the real us, who when He sees us, He sees all truth, all clarity is there for us. Our view of people and of love sometimes is marred by, by sin and, and even our experiences, but God's love is, is unrelenting in that He comes and pursues and He gives us affection. And the, the type of affection He has for us, guys, is it, really it's otherworldly, if you will. It's not something that we, I think, honestly can, can comprehend. I mean, that kind of love says that I will love you even while you are my enemy. I mean, how many of us sometimes have been challenged with that when, when, when we look at that, people that we would maybe perceive as our enemy? And sometimes people can do things that make us feel like, like they've hurt us. Maybe they've talked about us. Maybe they've spread gossip about us. It's hard to be talked about, right? Or to be ridiculed behind our backs and then to look that person and then see, have affection for them. A lot of times what we see is like hate and just anger. 
But God's love is not like that. God loves, sees us, even while we were yet sinners, even for the joy that was set before him, he endured the death, even the death of the cross. Right? It, it's, a, it's a worldly, it's a, it's a love that, that truly is not of this world. Right? And so then look at our response as believers. Right? Then goes on in verse 16, and we also ought to then lay down our lives for the brethren. One commentator puts it this way, our life ought not to be dearer to us than God's own son was to him. Now listen to this one more time. Our life ought not to be dearer to us than God's own son was to him. This is a heavy reality. When we refuse to die to self, basically what we're saying, and his, his implication is that we're saying that our lives are worth more than the life of Jesus when we withhold to love our enemies, when we withhold to love other people, when we're, when we're withholding love, giving of that love, right? It's like the opposite of God's love and that God's love just gave. He, he gave us His very best, right? He gave us His Son. Why is that so important? Well, if Jesus laid down His life for us to provide atonement, to provide forgiveness, man, then we're called to love others because we're forgiven, Right? It's, it's a demonstration of the love that we were given. I've said this before in a different study. Forgiving people, I'm sorry, forgiven people are forgiving people. And part of that is huge because it expresses God's love. Forgiveness, man, it, 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 it is powerful when we think about forgiveness as a demonstration of God's love. It's powerful. Right? Because it, it, what it does is it, it, it expresses God's love. It clears a path. It gives people a clean slate. It opens the door for reconciliation and for relationship. It's a, a preview of God's love. That's what true love is. It's laying down our lives, willing to give because we've been forgiven of so much. You know, many times, sadly, I think a lot of us, we go looking for love with the idea of what can I get out of it? You know, we might not say that. We might not verbalize that. But so many of us, if we're honest, right, we want to be in love so that a person can meet our needs or they can fulfill our desires or, or they can make up, you know, the love that we didn't receive as a child. And I'm telling you, that, that can be a lot of pressure on people because we're looking for, for love kind of in all the wrong places. Or we go into the marriage with the idea that, man, I will love this person with the exact amount of love they show me. So when they love, I'll love. And when they pull back, then I'll pull back. You know, I'm not going to be taken advantage of, so to speak. But that's not what love is. Love loves because that's what love does. Love dies to self. Love gives Love has action attached to it. Loving people is, is dying to self. <laughs> and I get it. We don't like to die. We don't like to deny ourselves. I mean, we live in a culture where, where there's a lot of things that we don't have to deny. We can just take and, 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 and grab anything we want. And so to deny ourselves sometimes can go against our normal way of life, if you will. But look at this. When, when we look at what love is, when we look at how Jesus laid down his life, we also then see what love is all about and what it looks like. Look at the next thing. And this next point is love is a movement of action. Look at verse 17. 
He says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Man, what a call for us as believers, as followers of Jesus. To not just love people with words, but actually with deeds and with truth. It's, you've heard it said like in one way, right? Talk is cheap. But here's where it gets real practical. If whoever has his world's goods, the word world's goods or that phrase is speaking of livelihood and substance. The command is just not for, I mean, I think in first glance you can look at it this and think, well, that's, you know, for people who have an abundance. And he's speaking to people who are wealthy or rich or, or, or have cars and vacation homes and all these kinds of things. No, the wording actually speaks of, of anyone who just has sustenance, anyone who has any kind of livelihood, that, that, that they're able to have a roof over their house, just anything. You know, it's, it's kind of this reference to, you know, any kind of, uh, uh, of material things that we have. Anything that provides sustenance for anyone who has those kind of basic living skills, right? He says, if any of those people have any of those kinds of needs and see his brother in need, man, it's, it's basically what he's saying is not right. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Anyone who sees his brother in need. I know it's funny as I know sometimes this is more not just like seeing the occasional <laughs> Uh, a homeless guy in the streets. I know sometimes that I can always kind of do like a guilt trip on myself where and I'm exiting the highway and I see a guy there like we'll work for food and then sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't want to make eye contact, you know, and then I'll get all like, I feel guilty and I go back and try to like, you know, buy him a burger or something. The idea is not so much that, it's more of, of anyone who is in constant view of someone else's need, who, who, all, who has opportunity to provide, and then shuts himself up to that or ignores that, John is saying we ought to actually question whether we truly have the love of God in us or not. To be able to, other, to see other people in want and in need and then to kind of ignore that is actually to question whether we really are in the faith. That's a, hev that's a heavy thing. The idea is this, that if God's love is truly in us, how can we be okay with people in need we can't obviously save the world, but we can ask and pray like, Lord, give me an opportunity to share with those within my ability with those who are around me, you know, to, to meet the needs of people. Another commentator put it this way, faith gives Christ to me, but love flowing from faith gives me to my neighbor. I like that. Faith gives Christ to me, but love flowing from faith gives me to my neighbor. Man, being available for other people, being in a place where we're wanting to give. I, I remember years ago, I learned this the hard way. Uh, along, and it's something I every now and then I think back on, not to kind of do my, myself like guilt or anything, but it was just kind of a learning moment. Years ago, there was a brother who was just kind of starting out, him and his wife, and, and I think they had a little kid or something, and he was just in between jobs and whatnot, and, and I kind of found out he was in need. And I was single at the time. I was saving up for Bible college. I didn't have any bills or anything. And, and so I went up to this guy. And I was like, hey, man, I could loan you 200 bucks. You know, and so he was like, yeah, that would be awesome. So I loaned him 200 bucks. But in my immaturity, I was like, okay, I loaned him 200 bucks. Then I expect 200 bucks back. 
And he's all, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you back, man. And I remember several weeks later, he, he came and he was like, hey, man, I've got your money. I was like, oh, great, you know. Uh, and I could see, though, that it was hard for him. The guy was struggling. And I took it back. I was like, yeah, like, great, you paid me back. But I remember looking back in that moment and just thinking, why didn't I just give it to the guy? Why, why did I kind of just have that pressure of just like loaning the guy money and then expecting it back, especially as a young guy, as a believer, just I didn't have any really bills or anything. And I just remember like telling myself in that moment and going forward that I'll never do that again. If I ever have an opportunity to give, I'm just going to give. There is no loaning money when it comes to me. It's if I just have it, I want to give it. And if I don't have to give, then I won't give. But I just want to give it. I don't want to ever expect anything back. Because what I, what I kind of didn't realize, and even that moment in my maturity, is that any time we give to the least of these, man, Jesus says we've given unto him. Right? And it was just a big learning moment knowing that, that I could never outgive God. And God will never hold us to debt. Will, God will never be in debt to us. We can give knowing that we've given to the Lord. Because it's our call as, as brothers and sisters of Christ to, to look out for the brethren. To take care of one another. I know this is kind of weird and I'm not, I don't, I don't want to get into government I mean, or politics or anything. But I really think in some ways, that's probably why we see a lot of the programs that we have today in our government. Like when it comes to like food, food stamps and all these kind of things, which are great. People need that stuff. But by and large, for a long time, it was the church that was taking care of people. When I think about like hospitals, and I mean, it's, there's no, it's not a coincidence. There's like St. Joseph's and St. Margaret. It was like the church that was seeing the needs of the people. And it was the church that was taking care of people. We were taking care of one another. Even in the Old Testament, you know, when you see it in the story of Boaz, you know, there was like, you see this great example of God's people taking care of the poor and the needy among us. And somewhere along the lines in there, it's almost like we just kind of lost it as a church. We, for, we forgot about that part somewhere. And we've just given it over to agencies and, 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 and government entities and so forth. When a long time it was the church. It was the church moved by compassion and saying, you know what, maybe I don't need to get a Lexus. Maybe I just, I, I'll get a Toyota and then I can give to this person or that person or, or, or just, you know, whatever. And again, there's no shame if you got this or that, but it's just the opportunity to be able to love in Jesus' name to love, to demonstrate of, of giving. Because when we give, whether it's time or talent or treasures, man, it's an example of God's love. It's an example of, of, of giving on behalf of Christ who, who gave us everything. And I really think right now, like there for sure is an opportunity for us as, as followers of Jesus. Now, we as a church, we try to do that. We give and we give to the food bank and all that on behalf of you guys. But really, it comes down to us as individual followers of Jesus. If we've truly been touched by the love of Christ, then we're looking out for the needs of others. And, and again, I'm not saying every one, one of you. I mean, again, as I said, man, we experience that love for us, from, from you to us for sure. Right? But I think the worldwide church at large, right? Man, to be able to, to do that in the name of Jesus, to give practically and serve practically in the name of Jesus, I think, man, goes a long way than just saying, hey, bro, Jesus loves you. But, but to, to serve somebody, right, 
in the name of Jesus can have an impact. Right? So when he says there, my little children, let us not love in word or in deed, but uh, word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, love has action involved. Words, because words can only go so far. But if we say we love people, we can say we love people all we want, but until action is actually brought out, man, it's just hot air. Because love involves deeds. The, the, the word deeds there actually speaks of the duties of a servant or, or a waiter. Being a waiter. We're, we're, we're waiting on people. Waiting on people. Serving them without any expectation or wanting something in return. But just giving love. Because that's the love of God. Now I know, man, both of these they definitely involve an, an element of risk, right, of, of loving. Because I know that some of us have given and have loved and have been hurt by that. But I think when we do that, when we give, even when there's an element of risk, even when we give love and there's an element of being hurt, I really honestly think those are the times where we're just like Jesus. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Even as he's dying on the cross, right, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he still loved. And he still, and he still gave. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts. Hey, he, one of the best ways to experience the love of God and to be secure in his love is to love other people. To love other people. Do you ever feel like God doesn't love you? I mean, have you ever been in that spot where you feel like God doesn't care about you? Then I would say ask yourself this question. When is the last time you showed love to someone else? Because I think those two things are intimately tied together. The only way to really feel secure in God's love is to allow God's love to flow you through you to other people around you. Because here's the thing, if we're not out loving other people, whether it be our spouse or our kids or our neighbors, our friends, our fellow body, uh, our fellow Christian, our fellow brother in Christ, then what happens is, what do we do? We start focusing inward. We start thinking a lot about ourselves. And then that's when we start nitpicking our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's when we start looking outward instead of loving outward. We start looking at how other people's love has failed us. But I think the cure for feeling the love of God is, man, go out and love other people. Because God's love is always outward and others focus. That's why I believe serving other people in the body of Christ is so important. It's a part of our discipleship and growth as followers of Jesus. When we're not serving other believers, again, as I said, it's, it's easy to look at faults and so forth. But rather love and give and be others focused. Look what he says here in verse 20. I'll speed it up and we're almost done here. But verse 20, look what John says next. For if our heart condemns us, man, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. God's love is greater than our hearts. 
And it's a tricky thing, this word called love, right? Because so many times in our culture, love, as I said, is associated with the heart. Or in one sense, your heart, yes, represents the seed of our compassion. I mean, we can say things like, oh, man, you've been on my heart for a while, or, or bless your heart, or that really touched my heart. But in many ways, you'll see that heart, our hearts can definitely be deceptive. You often see it in movies, too, where heart and love is kind of like go, they go hand in hand. But oftentimes what happens is when we're trusting our hearts, when we're believing in our hearts, when we're, you know, all those kinds of things, really it's a warning because our hearts actually can be deceptive. That's why John says there, be careful. If your heart condemns you, man, God is, is greater than our hearts. Because our hearts can go up and down. Jeremiah says it best. He says, man, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Man, it's not about our hearts or our emotions, but about God's love. How many times have you done something for somebody or you love somebody and then afterwards you like, you second guess yourself or, or, or sometimes, you know, you're trying to express yourself and it comes across and someone condemns you for it? It can't be about what's going on in the heart. Our love has to come as a springboard from the love of Christ that's been given to us. It really does come back to abiding in Christ and abiding in His love. Look what the end of this, this section says here. And this is his commandment, verse 23, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. I know in one of these things, sometimes... Because we're like that as a human nature, we can look at, okay, I'm going to start doing this, this, and this, and I'm going to start, you know, doing all these tasks and all these things to show my love. And even in that, John says, but don't focus so much on the deeds and the actions. Focus on the greatest commandment of all. And what's the greatest commandment of all? It's to love God. It's to love God and to love people as yourself. Those two things, they go together. See, if we abide in God's love and His love for us, the deeds and, and the actions, man, they're going to come. But the focus is to, to look at Jesus. Love is Christ laying down His life for us. So then if His love truly abides in us, man, then we're going to lay down our lives for others. We can love as servants of Christ as we abide in His love. So where do we start? Where do we, we start in all these kinds of things? Where do we start, you know, focusing on, on the love and action? Man, it always goes back to focusing on Jesus. Focus on His love for you. Abide in that love. And the actions and the deeds will come as we look to the greatest act of love, right? Jesus laying down His life for us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You so much for Your Word. And we thank You for Your love. God, there, there is, man, there is a call, definitely a call for action for us. Lord, not to just be doers, but also to be givers of your love, God. And so, Father, this morning, I, I pray that we would have this moment where we can just really experience your love. 
And Father, we thank you that your love is freely given to us. Lord, thank you that we don't have to earn it. Thank you, God, that we don't even have to clarify our hearts to you. Father, your love is so much greater than our hearts and our motives. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to prove ourselves to you. But you free. Hey there, this is Pastor Joe again, and I pray that you were blessed by this morning's sermon. If you ever want to find out more information about our fellowship, you can find us at calvarysanjuan.com, or you can find us on Instagram at calvarysanjuanisland, or even on Facebook at calvarysanjuan, or if you ever want to catch a live service, you can find us at calvarysanjuanlive, all caps live. God bless you, and hope to see you soon.